The Gospel may be found on page 1011, and it's in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. Jesus feeds the 4,000. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 10, and you'll find this on page 1181. Philippians 4, beginning at verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, excepting you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more should be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To God, our, fa to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. 
Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello. Hello. It works. Lord God, our Father, please speak to your people. Help them to hear you, not me. Amen. Well, they invited me back then. Thank you. Um, and uh, Simon's brought me the uh, thing that I could have carried myself, but thanks for that. I assume that's because over the course of this morning, he's so far drunk from both glasses of water, leaving me with no water at all. <laughs> so today, I am, for those of you who've seen me speak before, I have previously stood up at the lectern, grasping it in terror. Um, and now I've been released down here uh, with a microphone and nothing to hold on to. So if I'm shaking, that's why it's different. Um, I'm also taking a different approach this morning. Um, I have uh, a more normal set of bullet points rather than a script. So once again, if I ramble or if I go off-piste, then I apologize for that, um, and we'll see how it goes. When I read this through the other day, it took an hour and a half, <laughs> and hopefully it won't take that long today. If you, get lo if you get lost or if you get bored, please feel free to shout at me. Um, this is a sermon, um, and for those of you who don't know, sermons used to be interactive. Um, the word has its roots in Latin and Old French and means discourse, which has two meanings, either dialogue or pontificate. Now, pontificate means to act like a bishop, no, or to pompously give an opinion. I'm going to try to avoid doing either of those things, um, which means we're stuck with the dialogue definition this morning. Um, another, word that mean, um, another meaning for the word sermon means to give a lengthy speech of reproval or criticism. Now, we learn from Proverbs 9.8 that, that you should reprove not a scorner lest he hate thee, but you should, you should rebuke a wise man and he will love thee. The Bible is the word of God. I'm sure we will all agree on that. And, um, and I'm also sure that we will all agree that everyone here is a wise man, not a scorner. Or person, apologies. Therefore, by some convoluted logic, there is a dialogue, which means we're going to talk, and you are more or less obliged to enjoy it. <laughs> so, this letter. Paul is speaking extensively about community in this letter, and I've run out of space already. The reason I carry this Bible, by the way, is that I've had that since I was at primary school, and it's unlike literally all of my peers, uh, that one's still intact. Um, and uh, although actually reading it, I don't particularly like that translation, it does remind me of where I started learning all these things. Uh, also, it looks better than the translations that I actually use, which are all on my phone. And if I stand here, it'll look like I'm texting people saying they've shut down already, that no one's listening to me anymore. Anyway, Paul's letter to the, Philipp to the Philippians. Can we have the uh, next picture? So this is Philippi. 
Um, it's obviously exactly, was obviously exactly like that in Paul's time, um, a big pile of rocks. Um, no, this is, this is modern-day ancient Philippi, if such a thing can be said. Um, and this is the area where Paul, um, where, where the, this is the magistrate's court where uh, Paul would have um, addressed, been a, oh, was he sentenced there? He would have been sentenced there at some point. Anyway, the church at Philippi, um, the, the context for this letter is it's being written around 30 years after the death of Jesus um, and his resurrection. The church in Philippi was founded approximately 12 years prior to, uh, to this letter by Paul himself. Um, the it was the first church founded by Paul in Europe, and it was the first place in Europe that he preached. Um, Philippi is in um, modern Greece, um, northeastern Greece, um, for those of you who aren't sure, such as me when I started reading this. I suddenly realized I had no idea where Philippi actually was. The local founder of the church and the, um, the first convert was a woman called Lydia, who broke all social conventions by asking Paul to come back to her house to um, Give, uh, to continue his teaching, despite the fact that he was a man on his, with a group of men and she was a, a woman with a group of women. Women continued to held, hold a prominent role within the operation of that church, um, and the church itself was doing well, unlike some of the other letters that we hear about in the, uh, in the new, uh, that we read in the New Testament, um, the churches and the churches that they are sent to. It's not mired in strife or heresy, um, such as the church in Galatia or in Corinth. So the church in Philippi is a solid church full of, um, full, of a, full of a good, strong community. And this is a dangerous time for a church. They've got no immediately obvious problems to overcome. There's, no, um, there's nothing to take away. They're not being persecuted. They're not being driven together by adversity. They could do a lot, but it's also very easy for them to rest and do absolutely nothing. Paul, throughout, this, throughout the entirety of this letter, is encouraging them not to rest and to continue to improve and to push forwards. Um, and this is one of the things we really need to learn from this, uh, from this church community, because it's also true of the Church of England in general, um, which we need to consider in preparation for the, uh, the bishop's visit next week. And it's very true of St. Swithin's as well. And I invite you to think about St. Swithin's particularly as we move forward. Can we move on? So the church in Philippi is a community that stands together. They support the, um, they have support for their mission, both local and abroad, and they remembered Paul despite the fact that he's been away and presumably not in a great deal of contact as, as was typical for the ancient world. But they continue to support him and they continue to, and they have a, uh, a close support with their missionaries and their mission and their, uh, and their sense of, uh, of outreach and mission. They also continue to support him despite that he is in prison. Now, Paul is pretty much always in prison, but uh, that doesn't change the fact that there is a social an intense social stigma attached to it at the time. And it's the same today. Um, the, um, a, a short while ago, I was at uh, the hairdressers that I, can, I constantly use, and, um, and the... Um, the, uh, the, the man who was cutting, I was talking to the man cutting my hair, and he said, uh, and asking him how business was and how busy he was, and he said, oh, it's extremely busy at the moment, but it's okay because all my staff will be coming back soon. And I said, oh, that's good thinking. They've been on holiday or whatever. And he said, yes, they're all getting out of prison. I'm like, oh, 
Okay? And I have no idea what they were in prison for. Uh, I didn't ask. Um, but I know that I know the, scent, the, uh, the feeling that I felt at that moment, was, which was, gosh, I wasn't expecting that answer. There was definitely a, uh, a stigma, a feeling there. My reaction, my involuntary reaction was not, was not positive. Now, I continued to go there. I continued to have my hair cut, which you can have your own opinions on. Uh, but I still got both my ears, so I would recommend that there is, that there is not necessarily a problem there. Um, but the, there are sadder anecdotes for this sort of thing. Um, I have a friend who spent some time in, who did spend some time in prison. And since then, he has found it extremely difficult to uh, integrate with his community. They basically don't want very much to do with him. The, poor, the, uh, the gentleman in question has got, um, a, has got a ring around his neck that says, this man should not be trusted under any circumstances. He is to be trusted, and he is a, a good man. But they won't let him back in. He is basically ostracized, and this community is his church. Now, Christian communities should be different from the norm. The early church was persecuted because of the social overlap, which undermined the very fabric of the society that they were living in. They had senators talking to slaves, and people from the outside looked at this, not so much as a religious um, and faith-based problem, but as a simple problem that if the many are talking to the few, then what's to stop the many having an opinion on how things should be run? And society's base, a society generally works as a very fragile pyramid where the few at the top dominate the, the many below on the grounds that the many below do not realize that they have the numbers and they, are and they have a valid opinion. So the church was persecuted. They also, it also spread because it lived differently. And again, it's because they thought differently. During early Roman times, the, there were, of course, many plagues, and typically during these plagues, the elite would leave the cities um, and move off to their houses in the country where fewer contact with people meant there was less likely they would become infected or have any, and have any problems. At the same time, the Christian communities flocked to the cities. Um, they saw a body of people in need. They saw a body of people who needed their help, and they moved there, and they moved amongst them. And during that time, many, many were converted, many heard the word. And a lot of the, although they heard a, a message that, touched, that must have touched them in some ways, the first, the first interaction they had with that community was, these people are living differently. These people care about me despite the fact I, am, I have nothing, I am plague ridden. When, when the Roman elite came back into the cities, what they found was largely Christian communities, which they then had to adapt to in order to rule, hence the acceptance of Christianity throughout the, uh, throughout the empire to a certain extent. The Africans have a term, and I'm afraid I'm not sure which part of Africa this comes from, um, which is Ubuntu. I am because we are. Um, it's um, Desmond Tutu is a big fan of this, and it's used extensively. I think it links very closely to the community aspect, and it encapsulates the community. I am because we are. Moving on. Thank you. Paul is 
speaks of his contentment within the community. Um, the content, uh, now, contentment is a hard word, uh, not least because the definition for contentment is very cyclical. If you look it up, contentment means to be satisfied. Satisfied is a state of happiness. Happiness is a state of contentment. It's not very helpful for getting an insight into what it actually means. And it's also questionable when Paul encourages everyone to be content. I mean, if you're content, aren't you happy with your current situation? And that is the antithesis of a drive to move a church forward or a community forward to become something more, something bigger. Um, there is, um, without ambition or passion, there is no real drive, and contentment seems to be the opposite of this. I think what Paul is talking about here is the um, the danger is is the the founding of where the foundation of where he stands. Although he accepts that moving forward is good and has desires and ideals, he also comes from a base rock of contentment, which means that he that means that for him, pushing forward is not about is not an obsession. It is not a numbers game or whatever it is that you use to judge moving forwards as a, as a thing. Because he's growing from a point where he is secure and happy, um, he can always look at what, uh, he can always look at what might be, but be happy in, in his current state, and so isn't torn up by the lack of what's going on. And the lack is, and that, that gap is, is integral to the um, to the, to the contentment of a community. Rather than looking at what is not there, Paul is, is saying, look at what is there. Now at New Wine, there was a, um, I met someone from Tear Fund who told me about um, a project that was happening, again, somewhere in Africa, and I'm afraid I can't remember exactly where. The team was working with a, a, an extremely impoverished village which had some huts, and that was more or less it. But they, they sent um, new recruits out there to learn, um, to learn the ways of Tear Fund. Um, and so they constantly had a set of volunteers going through this place. And eventually, one of them came back and said, this village has very little, but what they do have is a square of ground with grass on it. So why don't we cut down the grass and take it to market to sell? Which they did. They sold it. They made some money. They reseeded it with better grass, and they repeated. And a few years on, that small piece of ground, scrubland, is now feeding three, I think, families who had no work, no resource at all, and it's generating money for the village. And that's all come from them looking at not what they don't have, and what they don't have is an awful lot, but what they do have, which is this little square of grass which has now been developed, which has now been developed into an actual ongoing concern. And I think it's important that we take time to look at the same, to do the same exercise in St. Swithin's. Now, I was going to ask you to um, discuss what we have here, but honestly, I'm not sure that we have time. So I'm going to skip that. But I think it's very important that, and here's some homework. That, um, that we look at St. Swithin's and what we have here that we, are thank that we can be thankful for, and, we and there is a lot that we should be very thankful for. But what do we have here that we can grow? And what do we have here that we can, that we can make use of in perhaps a different way? And I would encourage you, 
if anything comes to mind, to speak to either Simon or a member of the PCC, um, or someone else who has some link into that. Because it's important that we, as a community here, continue to move forward. And that's not just the case of Simon coming up with ideas. Uh, it's, from, it's for everyone to do so. Speaking of supporting the community, next, thank you, giving. So obviously in this, um, in this, in this um, writing, Paul is thanking, the, is thanking for, um, for a gift that he's been given. He's received the gift from the church in Philippi, which they've sent without, it seems to be without being asked first. So rather than waiting for Paul to write back to them and say, we have nothing, I, I have nothing, please support me and help me out of this problem. They have remembered their missionary and said, it's probably about time that we sent him some more, uh, more resource to live on. Now I assume that the most of this gift in particular was financial. And that would seem to be the simplest thing to transfer uh, in ancient times. However, giving to the community is not just about money. Giving is about sacrifice. So um, the question really is, what is precious? We know from, um, from the, the, um, the widow who gave the two copper coins that Jesus valued her sacrifice um, over, the, um, over the vast amounts that other people were giving with no thought. So a question for each of us really is, what is, what is precious to us? For me, um, the, the precious gift is time. Um, I know the tightening sensation I have when somebody asks me to do something, um, because I bounce from jobs to large amounts of other, of other work, and find it extremely difficult to fit things in to that sort of schedule. Um, so for me to give up time, is a, uh, is, a, is, a, is a deep expression of sacrifice. And I'm sure that for everyone here, there will be different things. For some, it will be financial. For some, it will be, um, for some, it will be time. For some, it will be skills, perhaps something they don't enjoy doing, but they know that there is a great need for it. Now, the sacri now sacrificial, sacrificial giving in this way is, um, is the equivalent of the sacred sacrifices of the Old Testament which is why Paul uses the same language. He talks of a fragrant offering to God. And we also know, and we've also seen from this morning's re, um, gospel reading, how the small sacrifice of, um, of loaves was honored by God and turned into a feeding for the 4,000 4, people. And God honors sacrifice. If we look at Malachi 3.10, God speaks not only of rewarding the giver, but it's one of the few times he actually asks to be challenged on this fact. And he says, very, he says very clearly that, he gives an instruction and then says, and make sure that I do this. Now I'm not trying to suggest any kind of prosperity gospel here. I'm not saying that, um, that there's, a, there's a simple mechanism of, um, of, pre, of following God and putting in things and great riches will come out of it, because I don't think that that's true. Frankly, it is demonstrably not true. At least, not in the in an absolute in any absolute sense. But what, but we do gain something from um, from sacrificial giving, and what we gain is a sense of ownership of for the activities that are that we are giving to, and for the activities of the community and for, and a sense of belonging and a place within the community that we are that surrounds us. 
And it's important that a community also needs to, res uh, needs to realize that. Not only, do we give to, uh, not only do we give passively, but if we give actively, then, um, and the community disregards it, squanders those gifts, or simply accepts it as the norm, then it is extremely discouraging to the people who are involved in that transaction. To give you an example of this, there is a, a church that I used to attend um, was very keen on community. They would um, build, they were very, they were very strong in building a world, um, building a world where everyone knew each other and, um, and came together. Um, their method, and their only method for doing so, was that you would go through the usual aspects of joining house groups and um, becoming part of, uh, be part of the community that way, learning how to communicate with, um, with one another um, and become, in their words, become part of the fellowship. And at that point, they would then allow you to become, to take a step and, and start giving to the fellowship, so to do some part of the church organization, say, be involved with worship or something else of that, of that kind. Now, that works for some. Um, speaking personally, I'm not a home group fellowship kind of person. Anyone who's been in a home group with me will know that. Um, but what, um, so consequently, I attended this church. I was never, a I would never say I was actually a member of it. Um, I heard a great deal of very interesting things there, but I always was on the outside. And they, not deliberately, blocked me from ever becoming a part of this because they wouldn't accept the, the gift that I was willing to provide to them. And for me, that would have been the way of learning people and gaining the fellowship that they wanted me to have in the first place. So by refusing the gift, they drove me away, and I'm here. So and now you have to listen to me, and I'm very sorry. <laughs> On the flip side, a place where it worked, um, I'll draw your attention to a city in Poland called Poznan. In Poznan, there is a charity called Nibelandia, which is named for the Peter Pan um, place, home, home of Peter Pan, I believe. Um, it's a charity that reaches out to extremely disadvantaged children on the edges of the city. Um, in the middle of Poznan, there is a, uh, an expat group. Um, this particular group is mostly formed of um, wealthy wives of businessmen, and it is mostly female in this particular case, um, who are in the country because their husbands are doing business. And they don't have much to do. They don't speak the local language particularly. They don't, uh, they, they're obviously foreigners in this, in this land. So they come together and have lunch and a pleasant existence is had. Now into that arena steps a person who I will not disclose their identity. We'll just give them the code name of my mother. <laughs> and she walked into Nibelandia and saw the need within this community. And she was already a part of the expat wives group. And so she took the need to them. Now this group have had a history of giving to these community, of giving to projects when asked for, and that would never have been an issue. But rather than just saying, can I have some money? What she actually said was, we have children on the edge of the city. They don't have anything. Could someone buy them a pink dress? 
Could someone buy them some blocks, some toys, some pens, some pencils? The members of this community then went out and rather than just, provide, just passively handing over cash, were, given, were tasked to go and buy these things and, linked, and it linked them straight to the people who were in need. This level of engagement meant that the, return, that the response was significant. The, um, and not only did they provide the, the resource and the finances, they also provided the, um, they also provided um, integrated, they built a sense of, of charity within this Poznan ladies group. Apparently, they, um, whereas in the past they have simply given money and moved on, in this instance they followed up and were interested in the ongoing success of the project, and they were also interested in further charity works and moving forward and doing, um, and actually actively seeking out further opportunities to feed their ability to actually make a difference and not and actively and not passively. Now, I don't know what happened in the long term there. Um, if you want more information and you've managed to decode my subtle hints, you can probably ask the person who may or may not be here. But it's, um, it's an example where taking a step beyond just asking for financial reward um, brings more from the, from the people. And by actually in engaging with the problem rather than uh, engaging with the problem very actively, it brings more, um, it brings more to, the to the giver. I think that's what Paul is speaking about here when he talks about his account, about, about them balancing their accounts. Moving on, because we need to move on. Communication. It's, Paul is fairly obviously in this passage saying thank you for the, uh, for the gift that he's been given. Now this is much more than politeness. He's, and 